Jeremiah chapter 29, and I want you to start with verse number 4. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning with verse number 4. If you're there, say, I'm there. Verse number 4, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters to your husbands so that you may hear or bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. For thus says the Lord of hosts, your prophets who were in the midst of you deceive you, nor listen to the dreams which you have caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name, and I have not sent them, says the Lord. But thus says the Lord of hosts, after seventy years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you, and I will perform my good word, and I will cause you to return to this place. Look at verse number 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord of hosts, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. I want you to look at verse number 4 one more time. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. I want you just to pay attention to a few words. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I've caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, I have caused to be carried away. You see that? Verse 5, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat their fruit, take wives, beget sons and daughters, and take their wives your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, so that you may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. All right, let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you, Father, that you're always here. I thank you, Father, that you are always present. Sometimes when we can't see or sense your manifest presence, we know that your omnipresence is here. And so, Lord, we ask you that as the word of God goes forth today, that we would receive it, we would hear it with clarity, that we receive it, Lord, that we're just not hearing a sermon today, but, Lord, that we would actually take the word in which you've planted in my heart as I give it to them, that they would receive it, God, that they would be faithful and fruitful and that you would transform them to the believer that you've called them to be. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Amen. As I look at this, I'm reminded of, I don't have a particular title, I just have a thought this morning. And my thought is, is what happens when life doesn't turn out the way you think it should? What happens when life turns out not the way you think it should turn out? But that's just a thought. And I want to look at this passage this morning because I, I have some things I want to bring out in this story that I think is very, very important for us and for myself. When you look at the Bible, one of the very first things that you got to understand is when you learn to read the Bible and when you interpret the Bible, one of the very important key aspects 
and interpreting the Bible is what is, is the historical context of the Scripture. Sometimes we read Scripture and we don't take into account the historical context in which the Scripture was written. Sometimes we just read it and we're not understanding that the writer is writing in a particular time to a particular group of people dealing with a particular issue. And so when you read the Bible, it's very imperative that we look at it and we look at the historical context by which the Scripture was written. And one of the things that most theologians agree on, and I tend to agree with them, that all of the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, it really hits on three events. All theologians mostly agree that the, the body of Scripture usually is centered around three topics. Now let me say that again. All Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, it seems as though the Scripture revolves around three main events. The first event is, of course, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe because of His death and because of His resurrection, you and I can obtain eternal life. Number two, it's the Exodus, where God led His people out of the land of Egypt and led them into a promised land. Number three, it is the Babylonian exile. And uh, a lot of Scripture pertains and revolves around this great event in the Old Testament. Now, what I want you to see, because immediately some people will just, you know, if the sermon is not, you know, funny, they, they'll just turn you off. But I don't want you to turn me off this morning just because I'm giving you a little bit of history. Because when I get done, you'll understand everything that I have to say here. So I wanted to look at the third principle this morning, and that is the Babylonian exile. Now, maybe you are familiar with this, or maybe you're not familiar with this, but this great event happened, and it's recorded in Scripture. Now, it happened in the year 597 B.C. Somebody shout that date out to me. 597 B.C. And do you know what happened in 597 B.C.? The Babylonians... Everybody say the Babylonians, and say this with me, they're not good people. Guess what they did? They went into Jerusalem, or first they went into the, they went into the uh, southern part of Israel and conquered Judah, and then they went into the capital city of Jerusalem, and they destroyed Jerusalem. So here is the Babylonians. They went into the nation of Israel, and they destroyed it, basically. That's what they did. It's kind of like us living in America and Russia coming in, destroying everything we have and taking our people to their land. That's exactly what happened in this scripture. The Babylonians came and they took God's people out of their land and exiled them into their land. Now somebody say this with me. They took God's people out of their land and exiled them to their land. This great event happened in 597 B.C. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? The Babylonians destroyed everything. They destroyed their temple. They destroyed their homes. They destroyed their businesses. They destroyed everything. And guess what they did? The Babylonians only took 4,600 Jews. They didn't take all the Jews. Now, the reason for that is because the Babylonians were known to only take the best of the best. So they only took the best people. They left the rest of them there, 
and they took 4,600 Jews, the best that they could find, and exiled them to Babylon. Now, are you all with me? Say, I'm with you, Pastor. Everybody say, I'm with you, Pastor. So the Babylonians went in to the nation of Israel, destroyed everything, and took 4,600 Jews, the best Jews they could find, and exiled them to Babylon. Now, do you know why this is important? This is very important because when the Babylonians destroyed Israel and took their people, it scattered the Jews throughout the world, and Israel, even though they returned, some of them returned back to their land after 70 years, Israel never regained sovereignty over their land until 1948. So that means because of what Babylon did, Israel lost the sovereignty of regaining their land, and they did not regain their land until May of 1948. Do you see that? From 597 B.C. until 1948, which is how many years ago? 60 or 70 years ago. Israel did not have complete sovereignty over their land because of what Babylon did in 597. You see, that is why this is a great event. That is why Scripture revolves around this event. This is a major... Can you believe what these Babylons did? They took 4,600 of God's people and put them in Babylon while the rest of their family was in Jerusalem and Israel, and they were living in destruction because of what the enemy did. Can you imagine what these Jews are thinking? These 4,600 Jews, they were living in Babylon. They were living with the enemy. Can you imagine? Get this, church. You have to live with your enemy? The same enemy that destroyed my land, the same enemy that killed my mother and my father, the same enemy that destroyed the temple, the same enemy that destroyed my whole life took me, and now i got to live in Babylon, and i got to submit to their authority. These Jews had to live with their enemy. They had to learn to eat differently. They had to work in a different place. They had to learn a different religious system who did not honor the God of their forefathers. You see, these people were distraught. These people were disheartened. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I can relate to how these people felt. The enemy destroyed everything they've ever known. And now they're living in a foreign country. Couldn't, they didn't have the freedom to worship their God. They had to learn to eat differently. They had to find a different job. They had to submit to the Babylonian system. And all at the same time, some of those Jews were thinking to themselves, but some of my relatives is still there. I wonder how they're doing. Are they rebuilding? I wonder if my mother and father is doing better. I know the enemy destroyed everything, but I'm wondering if things are getting better at home. Can you imagine what these people felt? And you know what? These people who were living in Babylon, guess what happened? Don't lose me. There was three prophets. Hananiah was one of them. Zedekiah was one of them. Ahab was one of them. Not the false prophet, but Ahab, the godly prophet. And these three prophets, guess what they did? These three prophets came to all the people of God in Babylon, and they said, listen, shh, we're prophets, and we got a message from God to tell you that the, your captivity, even though you're living in a foreign land, you're only going to have to stay here two years. How would you feel 
if a so-called prophet came to you and said, listen, I know the enemy destroyed everything you got, but it's only temporary and it's going to, only going to last two years. Now, I don't know about you, but two years is probably not that bad. And so the people of God, the people of God felt encouraged. The people of God thought, you know, we can endure two years. And then we can get to go back to our land. The enemy will let us go after two years and we can go back to their land, our land. Well, guess what? Jeremiah, who was also a prophet, guess what? He heard that the three prophets told him two years. Jeremiah said, no, 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 no. And Jeremiah wrote a letter. And that's what I just read to you. Jeremiah wrote a letter to all these people and I just read it to you. Jeremiah said, it's not two years. Look at verse number nine. Jeremiah 29, verse nine. Look at it. Jeremiah 29, verse nine. This is what Jeremiah said. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. He said, these prophets have prophesied falsely. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed. So guess what? It's not two years. You've got to stay there how long? Now, I don't know about you, but if the enemy destroyed my home, destroyed my family, destroyed everything I knew, took me to a foreign land, to Babylon, and there was prophets that said, don't worry about it, you're only going to be there for two years, and then Jeremiah comes along, writes a letter and says, listen, they're all false. It's not two years, you're going to have to stay 70 years. Ladies and gentlemen, that's very disheartening when you realize that you're not going to get over this situation in two years. As a matter of fact, you're going to be in this situation for 70 long years. The Jews were discouraged. How can it be longer? My God. We're living in a foreign land. How can it be longer than two years? But Jeremiah said, you will be delivered after 70 years. Let me ask this question to you. What do you do when you find yourself in a place of life that you never thought you would be? What do you do when you find yourself in a place of life that you never thought you would be? These people were living in the enemy's land and they had to be there 70 years. But first they got excited and thought it was two. They were discouraged. What do you do, ladies and gentlemen? I want you to see yourself in this story. What do you do when you think God's going to deliver you from something and you find out that you're there longer than what you thought? What do you do when you have prayed and cried and asked God to help you and there's no help there? The two years seems like it's going to be 70 years. Is there anybody in the building that can raise your hand and say, Preacher, I've been there and I know what you're talking about. Three people. I said, is there anybody that knows what I'm talking about? Five people. Is there anybody that knows what I'm talking about? These people had to be there 70 years. Listen, have you ever thought to yourself, God is going to deliver me quickly, and you find out that you're there longer? The season is going to be, the season's going to be longer than you thought. The burden is not going to be lifted immediately. As a matter of fact, it may get worse before it gets better. The worst season that you've ever seen, and you're crying to God, and you're begging for God, God, deliver me from this. And God says, listen, you're going to be there for 70 years. 
And you think to yourself, God, if you're merciful, why don't you deliver me? Why don't you do something, God? Have you ever been there? I think we've all been there. What do you do when you've got to walk through the darkest season of your life and you have people telling you it's going to get better, but you know somehow it will get better, but before it gets better, it might get worse. Have you ever been there? What do you do when you're waiting on God to bring you out of the worst season of your life? What do you do when you're begging God to change your situation? These people were living in a foreign land. The enemy destroyed everything they've ever known. And now they've got to live there 70 years. And Jeremiah said, listen, Jeremiah writes him a letter. And Jeremiah says, listen, you're going to be there for 70 years. But Jeremiah gives us a description of what you need to do when you find yourself in a place of life that you can't get out of quickly. What, what does Jeremiah tell us to do? Jeremiah, right in this letter, tells them, this is what you need to do for 70 years. I mean, God, you mean you want me to do something in the midst of my bondage? God, you want me to do something? I mean, you don't want me to stay around and pray for 70 years that you deliver us? God said, no, there is something you've got to do in these 70 years. Ladies and gentlemen, what do you do when you find out that God is not delivering you as quick as you thought he would? Jeremiah said, this is what Jeremiah said. Are y'all learning? Somebody say amen. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29 verse 4, he writes the letter. I want you to see it. Jeremiah 29 verse 4. This is the first thing he tells them to do. Verse number 4. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, you see that? To all who were carried away in captivity, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Look at verse 5. Build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, eat fruit, take wives, have children, and let your children's children have children. Now, you know what he's saying? He's saying, number one, you know what you do when you are in bondage? Number one, you've got to be productive in the midst of your predicament. In other words, you can't sit down and die because you're in bondage. You can't give up. You can't throw in the towel. You know what Jeremiah is saying? Jeremiah is saying, you're going to be there a long time. You're going to be there 70 years, but you are not called to lay down and die. You're not called to throw in the towel. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah said, what I want you to do is get up and build a house. Get up and plant a garden. Get up and get married. Get on with your life. Y'all hearing me today? Jeremiah said, you've got to be productive in the midst of your predicament. Don't lay down and die. You know what happens when life turns out to be lemons? You know what happens? We want to give up and say, where's God? Where's the church? Jeremiah said, you've got the wrong attitude. You're going to be in bondage for 70 years, but if you're going to be there, you need to be productive. Go ahead and build a house. Move in your house. Buy some furniture. Go ahead and settle down. Get married. Have children. Be productive. And how many of us, 
when life is not going the way we think it should, we want to have an attitude, get in our house, shut the door, be mad at the world, and be isolated from the world because it's not turning out the way we thought it should. Come on, somebody. If you have that attitude, you need to shake yourself. Jeremiah said, get productive. Is there anybody hearing this preacher preach today? You've got to get productive. In other words, keep living your life in adverse situations. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't lay down and die just because you're not in the environment that you want to be. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, I want you to see this. He says, I want you to increase. He says, verse number 6, Jeremiah 29, 6, Take wives, beget sons and daughters. Take children, uh, let your children marry children. You see all that? Then look at the last part. That ye may be increased there and not diminished. What is God saying? God's saying in the midst of your bondage, I can make you increase and not decrease. Boy, that is a good word right there. Can I hear it? God is saying in the midst of your bondage, even in the midst of adverse conditions, even in the midst of hostile conditions, I want you to increase in Babylon. I don't want you to decrease in Babylon. Let me ask you something. Are you being productive in the midst of your predicament? Are you laying down dying? Are you throwing in the towel saying it's not worth it? Jeremiah said, get up. Shake yourself. Increase in Babylon. Don't decrease. The Babylonians came to the children of God. <laughs> get this, Psalm 137. I, you don't have to turn there, just look at it behind me. Psalm 137, I want you to look at what it says. Psalm 137, verse number 1. I want you to see this scripture. By the rivers of what? By the rivers of what? By the rivers of what? They were set down. Yea, they were weeping. When we remembered Zion. So here the people of God is in Babylon. They're weeping. And now they're remembering all the good times they had. They're remembering in Israel all the family occasions, the reunions, everything that God did. They're weeping in Babylon. Now look at verse number 2. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of all of it. For there those who carried us away captive ask us to sing a song. Guess what? Babylon said, I heard y'all like music. I heard y'all used to sing in Israel. Can you sing us a song? Babylon said, I heard when you were living in Israel, you used to sing and dance. Do you care to sing us a song? And guess what the people of God said? No. They hung their instruments on a tree. In other words, they gave up. They said, we're not going to sing no more because we're not in Israel. We're not going to rejoice anymore. We're not in Israel. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? If all you have is a song when everything's okay, you really don't have a song. 
if God has really given you a song, you should be able to sing it in Israel and you should be able to sing it in Babylon. You should be able to sing it in good times and you should be able to sing it in bad times. He said, why have you hung your harps upon the willow tree? They've given up. They said, forget about it. You know what this teaches us? That you've got to learn to praise God in adverse conditions. You've got to learn to praise God in a foreign land. You've got to learn to praise God even when things are not going well. You've got to learn to praise God even in the midst of Babylon. You see, listen, listen. You know what, you know what they said? You know what they said? We can't praise God. Listen to me. Because we live in a foreign land. But you know what God is saying? You may be in a foreign land, but I'm not a foreign God. I'm going to say that again. You may be in a foreign land, but I'm not in a foreign God. They were wanting to be back in their own country to sing their song. But you don't have to have a perfect condition to give glory to God. Sid, listen, I've learned one thing, that you can serve God. We serve a God who can multiply you even when you're in the enemy's presence. Well, that's shouting territory right there. We serve a God who can multiply you even when you're in enemy's presence. You don't have to be in a perfect condition. You don't have to be in a perfect environment. God can bless you in the presence of your enemies. We serve a God who can multiply you even in the, even in the presence of your enemies. David said he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. In other words, you can feast in the presence of those who hate you. Number one, you've got to be productive in the midst of your predicament. Build houses. Don't lay down and die. Number two, he says, I want you to pray for your persecutors. Pray for your persecutors. Now, I know y'all ain't going to shout too much on this because this ain't popular. We don't want to pray for our persecutors. We want to cuss them out. We want to give them a piece of our mind. But can we just go back to uh, Jeremiah I want you to go back to Jeremiah. I'm almost done here. Don't lose me. Just hold on with me, okay? Jeremiah chapter 29. I want you to see something. I want you to go to verse number 7. Jeremiah 29, 7. After he tells them to build houses, look at verse 7. And seek the peace of your city, where, which I have caused you to be carried away to be captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. You see what the Lord is saying? The Lord is saying, what you need to do is not only build your houses, not only go on with your life, but you need to pray for those who persecuted you. Do you hear me? In other words, God is saying, you need to call a prayer meeting for Babylon. Boy, somebody better help this preacher out. I said, you need to call a prayer meeting for Babylon. Now, hold on here. The Babylonians, don't lose me, because I, I don't want you, I, just stay with me here. The Babylonians were tools in God's hands, and he used the enemy to destroy their city so that he can turn the hearts of his people back to him. 
Did you hear me? The Babylonians, which is the enemy, were tools in God's hand, and he used them to destroy their city so that God could use the enemy to turn their hearts back to him. In other words, God is saying, I am using your enemy so I can get you right. Oh, somebody better help me out. You say, Pastor, where's that scripture? We just read it. He said, I have caused you to be carried to Babylon. I am the one that brought you to Babylon. It was God's will for them to be in captivity. God's will. For them to be in captivity. He said it right there. So what are you saying, preacher? I am saying that God used the enemy to get to them so that their heart could get right. You say, well, preacher, I, 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 don't, I don't believe that. Yes, that's what God does. God will use people that gets on your nerves so that he can get to you so you can get right. I wish somebody helped me out. God, God will have you to be hooked up with somebody that gets on your ever-living nerve because God says, I have sent people in your life so I can develop character in you. Woo! Woo! I am using the enemy for your life. See, we want to bind the enemy. We want to rebuke the enemy. But God is saying, sometimes I use the enemy so that they can be used in my hand so I can develop character in you and bring you back to my heart. Quit binding the enemy. Those people you don't like and get on your nerves, sometimes God is saying, I put them in your life to develop character in you. He said, pray for Babylon. This is, this is my question to you. Can I ask you a question? This is the question. Are you growing in your prayer life? Is your prayer life always this? Bless me. Deliver me. God, you know I need a new car. God, you know I need this. I need a new girlfriend, Lord. God, I just pray. You know, they were dirty to me, Jesus. And, you know, is that all your prayer life is? When was the last time you prayed for people you don't like? Are you growing in your prayer life? He said, I want you to call a prayer meeting for Babylon because you know what God said? Y'all got to read the scripture. You know what he said? I like this. Verse 7, Jeremiah 29, 7. He says, and seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away. So it was God's will. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. You know what God is saying? If you don't pray peace for the enemy, you're not going to have peace. If you don't pray that the enemy has peace, you'll never have peace. So whatever you want in your life, you pray it for your enemy. Pastor, I'd like for God to do this in my life. Pray it for your enemy. Call a prayer meeting for Babylon. Pray for Babylon. But Lord, they destroyed my city. They destroyed my home. They destroyed my family. And God said, pray for them. 
is if you don't pray for him, your heart will become bitter. Become revengeful. Pray for them. Because in your praying for Babylon, I will mold you into the person I want you to be. He said, if they have peace, you'll have peace. Y'all, this is some good preaching right here. Now, what do you do when you're in bondage? Be productive in your predicament. Pray for your persecutors. And number three, you've got to pray for your, you got to protect yourself from false prophets. Now, is that what the Scripture said? Jeremiah 29, verse number 8. He says, For thus saith the Lord, Do not let your prophets who are in the midst of you deceive you, nor listen to their dreams which you have caused them to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely in my name, and I have not sent them, says the Lord. So you know what God is saying? God is saying, there's people that's coming to you in Babylon telling you you're going to get out quickly. They're false. You've got to be careful of false witnesses, he said. Now, you know what God said? Get this. God, God said they're false. They're false because I did not send them. That's why they're false. Or in other words, they're false because they did not consult me first. False prophecy is when somebody speaks on their own behalf and they did not speak on the behalf of God. False prophecy is prophecy that was not bathed and bathed in prayer. These false prophets did not pray. These false prophets did not ask the Lord because if they asked the Lord, the Lord would have told them they were to be in bondage 70 years, not two years. So false prophecy is people who speak and they do not speak in behalf of God. They don't get it in prayer. It's not birthed in prayer. It is not a prayerful source. And the question is, why did the people of God fall for false prophecy? Hold on. You know why they failed for false? Well, you know why they listened to false prophecy? Because the people of God were distant from God themselves. And when you are distant from God yourself, you'll swallow up anything that somebody comes to you and puts thus says God on it. When you are distant from God yourself, you have a tendency to believe everybody that has a prophecy that says thus saith God. Let me tell you something. Let me just preach right here. Everybody that has a prophecy and a word for you is not from God. It wasn't bathed in prayer. It wasn't bathed in prayer. People who really have a word from God will come to you in private in a spirit of gentleness and meekness and declare to you what the word of God is. They won't put it on Facebook to correct you either. People who have, who have heard from God according to Galatians 6 will do it in a spirit of meekness and gentleness, considering themselves, least they fall. And it's bathed in prayer. Ladies and gentlemen, if somebody comes to you and they're sincere in a spirit of gentleness and meekness and share their heart with you that God said something, you should consider it. If it confirms with your spirit. These false prophets did not hear from God. Because they themselves didn't bathe it in prayer. 
lastly, what do I do when I'm in when I'm in Babylon? Number four. This is the last point. You got to be patient on his plan. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. Verse 10, look at verse 10. Jeremiah 29, verse 10, look at this. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good work word to you towards you and cause you to return to this place. Look at verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and of hope. Now we quote that scripture all the time, but that scripture is rooted in the history and the context of what's going on here. Do you know what God is saying? I'm about, now I'm about to shout right here. He says, after you have completed 70 years, he says, you know why you're going to make it through 70 years? Because the reason you can make it in 70 years the reason you can make it year after year, because no matter how dark it looks, I still got a plan for you. No matter how bad it gets, I still got a plan for you. My thoughts are still good to you. In other words, even in Babylon, God still thinks good thoughts to me. Woo! What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying no matter how long You've got to be in Babylon. I want to encourage you that God says, i got a plan for your life. Woo, somebody help this preacher out. He says, I know the thoughts I have towards you, saith God. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. He says, I know you think, e that you're thinking that I think evil of you. God is saying, I know all of you are thinking I'm mad at you. And that I have evil thoughts because you've got to stay in this land for 70 years. But he says, it was my plan. I did it so I can get you back to my heart. He says, but I want to remind you. I want to remind you that even in the darkest valley of Babylon, that I still got a plan and I'm still going to work it out for God's glory. Woo! God is up to something. He said, verse number 11, he says, for I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future. You see, when you're in bondage, you think that your future is bleak and you think your future is over. But God says, if you can make it through 70 years, I'm going to give you a future that you can never imagine. I'm going to give you peace beyond what you can think of. I'm going to give you joy beyond what you can think of. If you can make it the 70 years. You know what one translation says? One translation reads it like this. He says, to bring you to an expected end. In other words, the 70 years is not going to last forever. I'm going to bring you to an expected end. It's going to end. What are you saying, preacher? God is simply saying this. Even though you're in 70 years, it's going to end. It is just a season. It is going to end. Whatever you're going through today, you got to tell yourself, it's going to end. It's not going to last forever. I told you earlier, 
Some of you need to remove the period. Get the eraser. Put a comma. Because it's going to end. And God's going to give you a future. And it's going to make it look like that the former days in Israel was just a picnic. Because God's going to bring you out and give you an expected end. Did you enjoy the word today?